0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Joshua Vinny. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as we turn towards your word, as we read of uh, Paul as he speaks of the ministry of the gospel and its effects upon those who hear it, we ask that you will encourage us and uh, that you will strengthen us for the task that you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians to chapter 3, and we'll read the whole chapter, but our text will be verses 7 through 18. So here, God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you? or from you, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that Israel could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory or must abound in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now I have to admit, uh, when I... Um, had to choose a text from 2 Corinthians. I chose one that had a fascinating Old Testament allusion in it. That uh, I wanted to look more at this, this account, and we'll read it here in a minute, of, of Moses coming down from Sinai with his face shining, uh, and uh, um, what, what happens as he then puts a veil uh, over it. And we'll look at that. But as I worked through this passage, I, uh, I found it very encouraging as a minister. Paul is here defending his ministry to the Corinthians, since it's not as flashy in many ways as they wanted. And in one sense, his defense is very simple, the Holy Spirit. He preaches the good news that the spirit uses to transform lives. And that, that is power. That is glory. But also as as I read it, this passage really encourages us, I think as a Christian, to remind us how the spirit has worked in us and is still working in us. And the intimate character of our now relationship with God because of Christ and through the Spirit. So, to look at that Old Testament background first, turn with me to Exodus. So we'll start with that. And uh, in, the, in Exodus 34, we have the account where Moses has been up on the mountain, well, um, yeah, he's been up on the mountain, he had come down once with those tablets, but only to find the golden calf, had shattered them, uh, had interceded for Israel because of that, and, uh, and then God had called him back up and had remade the covenant, made new stone tablets. Um, so chapter 34, verse 29, he's now coming down with those tablets. Uh, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And the, uh, the Septuagint there goes with, it was glorifying. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever, and so now we get, this is a continual practice. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Uh, so he comes down and his face is shining. They're afraid. He calls them. He speaks God's word to them. And then he puts this veil on. And then it says that was this continual practice. When he went in to the tent of meeting to speak with God, he'd remove that veil. He would then come out, speak to them what God's word was, and then put that veil back on. Well, in our passage, uh, In the beginning, uh, 7 through 11, Paul is alluding to the first part of that, him coming down and that glow in Israel um, uh, having fear because of it. And then in the latter part, he speaks about that veil. So let's look at 7 through 11 first. And and in this, Paul is taking up this criticism that he doesn't have power and glory as some others do. And we could say his argument is rather simple. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater and saying if Moses' ministry, his inferior ministry, had glory, how much more will the greater ministry of the Spirit have glory? The complexity maybe comes in as we try to understand the way he's characterizing Moses' ministry as inferior uh, and how he uses this passage um, to do that. Uh, And he makes two points about Moses' ministry to contrast with his ministry. And he contrasts the, the results and their permanence. Uh, And that helps us to see that that Moses had this ministry that was inferior to that of Paul in the New Covenant. And maybe what's surprising about it is is he more asserts these points. He's not here so much developing them, uh, proving them, but he's taking them as something the Corinthians know that he can assert that can then feed to his argument. So to focus on the results, we've already, right before this, Paul has started this contrast. He starts talking about letters and then he gets into uh, hearts versus stones, already thinking of the old covenant. Uh, And so he's spoken about stone tablets in verse three and the letters on it and what is the effect of the letter Verse 6, it kills. Uh, And and he continues with that in verse 7. What what was this ministry of that old covenant? A ministry of death. And then verse 9. What was its result? Right, The result was death. Its result was also a ministry of condemnation. Uh, He puts those terms both out there. That law, that... Those tablets as they came down, they contained that law that uh, said uh, those who kept this law would live, but in this context we know what Israel's results will be. The golden calf has just happened. We know their sinful hearts, they can't keep that law. That law will condemn them. That law will produce that death sentence For them. And in contrast, Paul, he's been speaking of his ministry, and it's of the Spirit. It's this life giving one, the Spirit riding on human hearts. He says that in 4 and 6. And in our passage, he continues that as as he calls it in uh, in verse 8, right? This ministry of the Spirit. And what are its results? We get in verse 9. It's this ministry of righteousness. This is the contrast. The Spirit, what does it do? It applies that work of Christ to us. Imputes Christ's righteousness to us and also transforms us. Transforms us to his image, that righteous image, so that even now, We walk according to God's law. So that law that it was powerless in that the spirit, the spirit now there is this power. What's maybe the newer element here is this idea of what is lasting. The impermanent versus the permanent. And Paul in verse 7, as he's talking about this ministry of death, he, uh, he says that it, it came Moses came with uh, right, this face that was, was shining with glory as he came down from the mountain so that Israel, their reaction was fear, just like at Sinai. Israel had pulled back in fear, then Moses comes down and they pull back in fear of him. Uh, so we have that similar reaction. But he adds that that glory... Um, And as the ESV puts it at the end of of, uh, 7, it was being brought to an end. Uh, And there's older translations, the NIV being amongst them, that have fading as the way to describe it. As if when Moses was before God, his face was charged, and then as soon as he went away, it started fading away. And that's a nice image, but it doesn't seem to fit the Greek verb that we have there Uh, and it isn't found at all in the old testament context Uh, so that's probably not the right way to think of it Um, instead Moses why does he have this reflection of God's glory well we have to remember as part of his intercession for Israel he had asked God to show him his glory And God said, you can't see my face, but just my back part, but I will pass by before you. And so he had done that on the mountain. And now, because of that experience, Moses reflects God's glory to Israel uh, in his face. And so it was probably this permanent thing that he had um, throughout the rest of his ministry. Uh, So then what is Paul doing in verse 7? As he says, this glory was being brought to an end. Uh, And this verb, we get a number of times, very key in this passage. Well, as he connects it up later, this glory is really standing in for that whole mosaic system, that whole mosaic old covenant. And it, as a whole, was impermanent right from the beginning. Um, And he can do this because in that passage, Moses, as he interceded for Israel, God relented. He said, all right, I won't destroy them because of the golden calf, but I'm not going to go with them. My presence won't travel with them because if it does... It will consume them. And Moses says, no, you can't send us up without your presence. That's what marks us as special. And so Moses, as he comes down with that glowing face, is in many ways an answer to that that question, that intercession he had. His face, his glowing face showed that yes, yes, God's presence would go with Israel. He would continue to have his presence there. The tabernacle would be built, his presence would go up and thereby mark them as his people. And yet in this context, it's clear that that cannot be the permanent way that God dwells with his people. Right from the beginning, the need for something greater was shown. It was already being brought to an end as the mean of God's presence. And that's what we see as we read on what happens with the tabernacle in the midst of Israel. What does it produce? Well, Israel complains, they sin. What happens? Wrath comes out from that tabernacle and consumes them. As he said, condemnation and death. It consumes them. So Paul, in contrast, this ministry of the spirit, of righteousness, it is this ministry that is permanent. Why? Because it has provided in that righteousness the sure and lasting way for God to be present with his people And that's the contrast that Paul brings out in verse 11 there. For what was being brought to an end, right? This whole mosaic shown in that glory in Moses' face, it was from the beginning being brought to an end. It could never be that final solution. If it came with glory, how much more the permanent. We now have a way that God can dwell With his people. And the uh, the verse 10 is a difficult verse, but I think it tells us how these two relate. Uh, it's, It's often read as if there's this glory of the former not having any glory because the later outshines it. Uh, many use the sun comes out and thereby you no longer see the moon and the stars. But I'm not sure that that's exactly what it's getting at. Uh, I think it's better that the way God had revealed his glory through the mosaic. There was glory in the mosaic. But it has now not become glorious because of the surpassing thing that has come. Christ, this ministry of the gospel. Uh, And so it has been replaced. It has been fulfilled. The the mosaic had been this arena for God's display of glory but that's come come to an end. It now has no glory because the permanent is here. The thing that exceeds that the mosaic was looking forward to. And so then, Paul can have boldness. Verse 12, this hope, this ministry that he has, that's why he can have boldness. And he brings up in this comparison the latter part, where it talks about Moses putting on this veil uh, as, uh, as he, after he would speak with the people. Uh, so verse 12, Paul says the character of his ministry gives him this boldness, and that's in contrast to Moses and that veil. And some have argued, well, it's Paul is open, Moses was trying to hide something. Uh, I don't think that quite gets at what's going on here, um, but it's really going back again to the power in their different ministries, the letter-killing the Spirit giving life. Why is Paul bold? Because he knows that it's the Spirit that uses his gospel message to transform lives. In contrast, what do we have with Moses? He came down from Sinai, Israel pulled away, and thereby he had to put that veil over his face because of their fear their sinful condition that they were still under. And thus, as we read verse 13, uh, this contrast with Moses, I think we need to see that the so that clause that comes after at the end of that verse is not telling us why Moses put the veil over, but what resulted from that veil. Moses put that veil on his face because of Israel's sin, because of their, the fear as they pulled away. But what was the result of that? So that the Israelites couldn't, right, they might not gaze at the end uh, or the goal of what was being brought to an end. Um, what was this end? What was this goal? Uh, well, As we said, Moses' face, his shining face, what did it show us? It showed us that God's presence was there. That that was the goal of that whole mosaic, God dwelling with his people. And yet, in that old covenant, there was this barrier in between. Um, This barrier because there wasn't that... Right? It's not the, the spirit hadn't transformed them. The spirit hadn't, the power of the spirit in Paul's ministry, that is what he's contrasting it with. Um, so that goal of the Mosaic system, uh, uh, that presence of God with Israel, that's what that veil separated them from. And so what was true of Israel? Well, that's what he then gets into 14. But their minds were hardened. The Spirit hadn't transformed them. That veil was there. And Paul then, in in this next section, jumps to the present day and says this is still true, that... Those Jews who haven't turned to Christ, as they hear the Old Testament read, as they hear that law, he uses that imagery of the veil. That's really the, um, what he's doing is that veil represents what required it. Their sinful hearts required that. And so that veil is still there. They still have that sinfulness of heart um, whenever Moses is read. Because it's only ripped away, it's only removed when what happens? Well, that's what we see there in, uh, in verse 15, right? Sorry, at end of verse 14. It's only through Christ that it's caused to pass away. Uh, only in Christ is it caused to pass away because the Jews, until they see that it pointed it was showing them, pushing them to the need for Christ. Until they see that, they will always read it um, in the wrong way. They will never understand it. Their sinful hearts, that veil, will always be there. They will be cut off. All right. But then we get conversion. And here we get maybe the most surprising use of Exodus. Exodus. He speaks of this conversion in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we might read that and we say, ah, when one turns to Christ, that that, uh, hardness of heart is removed. But what we need to see is that Paul's quoting, though in a modified form, from Exodus 34, verse 33. And in that, it says... Whenever Moses would go in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. And so Paul pulls the words there and now sets the believer in parallel to that. That when anyone turns to God, turns to Yahweh, what happens? That veil is removed so that he is in God's presence as Moses was in the presence of God as he met with him in the tent of meeting, face to face, speaking with him. And how can that be true? How can we as as New Testament Christians have this same experience of, of Moses, of that presence of God and intimacy with God? Well, he continues on in 17, he says, Now the Lord, and so Yahweh of the Old Testament, God, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Who indwells us? Who works within us? Right? God himself. The Spirit is in us. That is the intimacy we have. God himself in us, and that is freedom freedom from all those effects that we had of the law before, condemnation, death, but maybe more so here, freedom of access to God. We have freedom. And because of that work of the Spirit, he then closes in verse 18, this section, we with unveiled faces like Moses are able to gaze behold on the glory of the Lord. And through that and the work of the Spirit we're being transformed. We're being transformed from one glory to another. The glory we already see now in changed lives as the Spirit's work is evident in us. And that glory we look forward to in the future as we see the consummation. And so as we Think of that. We can't help but see what a great salvation we have. And as ministers, as those who have this message to proclaim, what a great message we have. Who is sufficient for it only through the Spirit? To all God be praise and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we in our, in our lives are so often discouraged by outward appearances and yet we know that you are the one sovereign working and changing. And as we see those who are sinful, rebellious, and hateful to you and their neighbor changed into children of God, may we see the glory there and the power of the Spirit and rejoice and be encouraged, and know that it is all in your sufficiency. And may that push us, may that cause us to proclaim more and more the glories of your grace, knowing that the Spirit will use the word to accomplish its purposes. And so we place all our confidence in you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.